Episode 4. Fourth Estate presents Cook's Chronicles, a podcast from me, Nigel Slater. In this series, you'll be joining me on the story of my life in the kitchen, from the first jam tart I made with my mother, standing on a chair, trying to reach the aga, through to what I'm cooking now. Episode 4. In this episode, we'll fall in love with pie. Pillow, potato and pastry topped, sweet and savoury. Pie is easy to fall in love with. The golden crust, the soft and giving filling, the way the pastry and its contents converge on the plate. Few forkfuls of food are more delicious than one that marries luscious juices with a pastry crust. I say pastry, but it could just as easily be potato mashed into buttery clouds, or sliced like golden coins and arranged like tiles on a roof. And when I say potato, of course, I can also mean mashed pumpkin, a latticework of grated carrot and parsnip, or the spice-speckled rice of a biryani. Your pie may be of rabbit or chicken, or broccoli or salmon. It may be of cheese or of ham or of haddock and mussels. What matters is that the crust and the filling are as one. The pie whose pastry is perched on the filling like a hat is the pie from hell. The two must meet and merge. The filling needs to soak into the pastry here and there. A layer of puff or short crust sodden with meat juices is a thoroughly splendid affair. I remain unconvinced that the pastry underneath the filling needs to be as crisp as it does in a tart. Soggy means saturated, and that can be a very good thing. It's difficult to know where to start this particular story. You see, dear reader, there have been many, many pies. From the meat pie my father would take from the oven on a Friday night, its crown of puffed pastry risen above the lumps of meat and dark fray bentos gravy. To the mother of all apple pies I make in a cake tin, its sides so deep you can cut it like a cake. Tender, Volume 2 As a child I loved the smooth toppings, the pillow-soft potato top of the shepherd's pies that came in aluminium trays at school or in foil dishes from the supermarket. Fifty years later, like murray mints and wine gums, I'm craving them again. Soothing pies, no knife needed. Sometimes I would come home from school to find a chicken pie in the arga. The shallow disc of pastry and pale gravy was not homemade, but a favourite nevertheless. I make a version of it to this day. There is something deeply pleasing about chicken gravy and shortcrust pastry. It is a recipe I go to town on, roasting the chicken first, taking my time with a slowly stirred sauce. Proper cooking, as so often with such recipes, there is more to it than what is on the plate. Such a pie comes with a side order of fond memories. As much as I admire the soft thud of steak and kidney pudding sliding slowly from its crackle-glazed pudding basin, it is too much stodge even for the most icy of days. I've tried to remember why I have such a soft spot for something I have only made once or twice. Perhaps it is just because my last attempt stood up, textbook style, when I expected it to collapse. All the pies I make today 
are modern interpretations of old classics. A little lighter, the filling spicier or softer in texture, but all well known. Every pie I eat now has evolved from a pie of my childhood, and if the fillings are new, they are not that new. I'm not sure anyone should get too clever with a pie. The pillow pie. My favourite pie to make is the one resembling a small pillow. No tins or pie plates needed, no baking blind, no risk of a soggy bottom. Just a sheet of puff pastry, filled, sealed and baked. First came the mushroom version, a sticky mixture of softened onions, creme fraiche and mushrooms wrapped in puff pastry. The recipe appeared in Appetite. Later versions included broccoli and gorgonzola, and a heaven-sent carb-fest that involved stuffing the pastry with slices of cooked potato, cream and cheese. As fond as I am of a homemade fish pie, most of them take an entire morning to make. File and a faff. I make a simpler version by wrapping smoked mackerel and creme fraiche in puff pastry. One of those straightforward recipes that seems to please all comers, including the cook. Smoked mackerel pie. I'm not sure whether this is a pie or a pasty, or whether such a point even matters. What is important is that you have a fish pie on the table within the hour. Despite the ease of execution, this mixture of smoked fish, cream and pastry remains one of my favourite pastries to eat. I often serve it with a salad of shredded fennel and parsley leaves tossed in a little lemon juice and olive oil. Serves too generously. 500 grams of smoked mackerel, prepared boned weight. 200 mils of creme fraiche. 2 teaspoons of grain mustard. A handful of parsley leaves. A tablespoon of tarragon leaves. A 325 gram sheet of puff pastry. And a little beaten egg for glazing. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Put the mackerel in a bowl, then add the creme fraiche, grain mustard, a little salt and some black pepper. Chop the parsley leaves and the tarragon and add them to the smoked mackerel. Gently toss the mixture together and set aside. Cut the sheet of puff pastry in half, then roll each into a rectangle about 24 by 17 centimetres. Place one on a parchment-lined baking sheet, then pile the mackerel on top shaping it into a shallow block and leaving a couple of centimetres of bare pastry around the edge. Brush the pastry edge with beaten egg, then lay the second piece of pastry on top. Press the sides to seal, pushing down firmly to prevent any leaks. Brush the top with the remaining beaten egg and score lines across the surface. Bake for 40 minutes until crisp and golden. We can get a little more adventurous. A waterlogged autumn day in 2012, and we were in need of a pie whose filling glowed. A pie to brighten and warm a day, spent almost entirely sweeping up wet leaves from the garden beds and paths. I had a recipe up my sleeve for a butternut squash pie, savoury yet sweet, a hint of cinnamon, the filling swaddled in crisp and flaky pastry. The butternut filling was steamed till soft, tossed with ground spice 
and wrapped in a sheet of puff pastry. We ate the shallow golden pastry with a crisp slaw of red cabbage and sultanas and poured glasses of sparkling cider. This first of the autumn squash pies was the simplest. Over the years, they've taken happily to a little embellishment. Soft cheese, a thread of thyme leaves, dried chilli flakes and a tangle of caramelised onions have at times found their way into the recipe. All of them were the additions. The latest incarnation of this recipe brings with it a spike of heat amongst the sweet amber softness of the butternut or pumpkin. The seasoning of ginger, garlic, chilies, turmeric, curry leaves and mustard seeds owes much of its character to dal. The spices, cooked with a little tomato, coat the squash lightly. On the side this time, a bowl of yoghurt into which I stirred mint leaves, finely chopped spring onion and diced cucumber. Spiced Butternut Pie Serves for 1.3 kilos of pumpkin or butternut, peeled and seeded weight. 5 tablespoons of groundnut or vegetable oil, 30 grams of butter, 2 large cloves of garlic, a 3 centimetre piece of ginger, 150 grams of tomatoes, 1 teaspoon of ground turmeric, a teaspoon of cumin seeds, 1 teaspoon of yellow mustard seeds, a teaspoon of dried chilli flakes, 10 curry leaves, a 325 gram sheet of puff pastry, and an egg lightly beaten. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Cut the pumpkin or butternut into small pieces, roughly 2 centimetres square. The shape is immaterial, as they are going to be crushed later, but being an equal size will help them to cook evenly. Steam for 15 to 20 minutes, until the flesh is tender enough for a skewer to slide effortlessly through them. Tip the pumpkin pieces into a roasting dish or baking tin. Pour over three tablespoonfuls of the oil and add the butter in small pieces. Grind over plenty of salt and pepper and toss the pumpkin gently so the pieces are coated with oil. Roast for 40 to 50 minutes until the flesh is soft and lightly golden on all sides. Using a fork or potato masher, crush the cooked pumpkin to a rough mash. Take care not to process to a puree. Peel and crush the garlic and peel and grate the ginger. Warm the remaining oil in a medium-sized saucepan. Stir in the garlic and ginger and sauté over a moderate heat for a couple of minutes. Roughly chop the tomatoes and stir into the paste just as it turns gold in colour. Then introduce the ground turmeric, cumin, mustard seeds, chilli flakes and curry leaves and a half teaspoon of salt. Simmer, partially covered by a lid, for about 10 minutes or until the tomatoes have collapsed. If there is any liquid present, turn up the heat and let it evaporate. Stir the crushed pumpkin into the spice paste, remove from the heat and set aside to cool. Don't skip this, it needs time to firm up. Cut the pastry in half, then roll out each piece to a rectangle measuring roughly 23 by 35 centimetres. Lay one piece on a parchment-lined baking sheet. Pile the filling on top of the pastry, leaving a two-centimetre rim 
of bare pastry around the edge. Brush the edges of the pastry with some of the beaten egg. Lay the second piece of pastry over the top and press firmly around the edges to seal. You could pinch the pastry together at this point if you wish, or use any trimmings to make any sort of decoration for the top. Make two or three small slits on the surface. This will prevent the pastry from splitting as it cooks. Brush the pie all over with more of the beaten egg, then bake for 25 to 30 minutes until the pastry is crisp and golden. Leave for 5 to 10 minutes to settle, then slice and serve. The pastry topped pie. Then there is the sort of pie you spend all day over. Such a day, when the weather is inclement and you have the radio on, is a day well spent. After you've softened the onions and made the sauce and the pastry, and done the rolling and the baking, you are left with a sense of quiet contentment. And a lot of washing up. I love these days when all that matters is one beautiful dish to put on the table for your friends and your family, a pie to be admired for its deep sides and golden pastry, and the fact it hasn't for once leaked in the oven. There is no point in pretending this is anything but serious cooking, proper cooking, the sort of cooking that you wish you could do more often, if only you had the time. I have made pies since I was a kid, though mostly of apple or plum or gooseberry. My savoury pie output has been confined to puff pastry pillow pies rather than making something that's moulded in a cake tin. That changed with the success of a deep chicken pie. A smaller, more manageable version is included here because it is a simply glorious pie, though still not one that you can rush off after work. This is a pie to be proud of. Chicken and leek pie. The original version of this, made for my column in the Observer, had prunes in, an addition that added a treacly richness to the filling. Sadly, I fear their inclusion put some people off, so I have removed them for this collection. Serves four. For the filling, 750 mils of chicken stock, 750 grams of chicken thighs, skin removed, a stick of celery roughly chopped, four roughly chopped medium carrots, a peeled and chopped onion, five tablespoons of olive oil, five medium leeks, ten sprigs of thyme, four heaped tablespoons of plain flour, a beaten egg, and a teaspoon of fennel seeds to sprinkle. For the pastry, 120 grams of butter, 200 grams of plain flour, and a little iced water. You will need a spring-form cake tin, 20 centimetres in diameter. Bring the stock to the boil in a large saucepan. Put the chicken thighs into the stock, lower the heat, and let them simmer for 25 to 30 minutes until tender. Put the celery, carrots and onion in a large pan with the oil and cook over a moderate heat for 10 minutes, stirring occasionally. Slice the leeks into pieces 2 centimetres thick, then wash well under running water. Add the leeks and thyme sprigs to the other vegetables and cook for 7 to 10 minutes. Sprinkle over the flour and cook for 2 minutes 
until all is nicely toasted. Lift the chicken out of the stock and remove the meat from the bones. Cut each thigh into four pieces. Pour the stock over the vegetables and bring to the boil, stirring occasionally. Stir in the chicken and let the sauce bubble for a few minutes to the consistency of good thick gravy. Check the seasoning. Remove from the heat and leave to cool. Meanwhile, for the pastry, cut the butter into small pieces, then rub into the flour with your fingertips. You can use a food processor if you prefer. Carefully introduce enough cold water to give a soft but rollable dough, about three tablespoons. Shape the pastry into a ball, wrap in parchment, and refrigerate for 30 minutes. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Place a baking sheet in the oven. On a floured board, roll two-thirds of the pastry into a disc large enough to line the base and sides of the cake tin with a little overhang. Press the pastry into the tin carefully, taking great care it doesn't tear. There should be absolutely no holes or cracks. Transfer the cool filling to the tin. Roll out the remaining pastry to make a lid. Brush the edges of the pastry in the tin with beaten egg. Then lower the pastry lid into place and press the edges tightly together to seal. Brush the surface with more egg. Scatter with the fennel seeds. Pierce a hole in the centre of the lid with the handle of a wooden spoon and bake for about 40 minutes until golden. Remove from the oven and leave to rest for 15 minutes before gently releasing the spring clip of the tin and serving. A vegetable pie. My vegetable pie, thick with sliced potatoes and cream, came about in 2020. With one of the highest COVID infection rates in the world, we were locked in our homes, hearing tragic news of the escalating pandemic, worrying for our families, our jobs, our futures. I needed to bring food to the table that would console and delight, soothe and give hope. A plate of food to lift our hearts. Pie ticked every box. There was a bag of flour left in the larder, butter and vegetables to use up. The local grocer, who had his shelves stripped of pasta and bread, still had cream and garlic. There was thyme in the garden. I think we all needed pie. Pastry made by hand and teased up the sides of a cake tin. A filling sliced and stirred and piled generously onto the pastry case. A single thing to be shared with others like a cake or a pot of tea. Spinach and Stitchleton pie. By all means use Stilton here, or perhaps a sharp and fruity cheddar. Serves four. For the pastry, 150 grams of butter, 250 grams of plain flour, and a little iced water. For the filling, three medium onions, 40 grams of butter, two teaspoons of thyme leaves, three tablespoons of chopped parsley, 400 grams of spinach leaves, 250 grams of Stitchleton, Stilton or Cheddar, a nice fruity sharp one, and a little beaten egg. You'll need a 20cm loose-bottomed, straight-sided sandwich tin. Make the pastry. Rub the butter in small pieces into the flour. 
You can do this in seconds using a food processor, or do it more slowly by hand. Stir in enough iced water to give a firm dough. Roll into a fat cylinder. Wrap in baking parchment and refrigerate for a good 30 minutes. Peel and thinly slice the onions. Melt the butter in a deep pan. Add the onions and let them soften over a low to moderate heat for a good 20 minutes, taking care they barely colour. A little gold amongst the translucency is a good thing but don't let them brown. When they've been cooking for 10 minutes, add the thyme leaves and chopped parsley, a little salt and some black pepper. When the onions are fully soft, remove from the heat and allow to cool. Wash the spinach leaves and, while they're still wet, put them in a saucepan over a moderate heat. Cover tightly with a lid and let them cook in their own steam for two to three minutes. Lift the lid and turn them over with kitchen tongs. Then cover again and continue steaming for a further minute or two till they are wilted. As soon as the leaves have wilted but are still bright green, remove them from the heat and plunge into iced water. Wring them out firmly but gently. You don't want to crush them. Get as much water as you can out of them, otherwise your filling will be wet. Then set aside. Set the oven at 180 degrees centigrade and place a baking sheet in the oven to get hot. You will place the tart on top of this one. It will help to crisp the pastry. Roll out two-thirds of the pastry and use to line the base and sides of the tin. Make certain there are no tears or cracks. Coarsely grate the cheese. Put half the onions into the pastry case, add half the spinach and then... Sprinkled over the top, half the cheese. Layer in the remaining onions, followed by the rest of the spinach and cheese. Roll out the remaining pastry. Brush the edge of the pastry in the pie case with beaten egg. Then lower the top into place, trim and press tightly to seal. Brush the pastry lid with beaten egg. Pierce a hole or two in the lid of the pie. Then bake for 40 to 45 minutes till golden. Let the pie settle for 20 minutes or so before carefully removing from the tin and slicing. The Potato Topped Pie I have heard it said that a pie isn't worthy of the name unless it has pastry on the top. I disagree. A cloud of potato is a sublime way to enclose a rich, stew-like mess of seafood, minced lamb with onions and thyme, or perhaps chicken in cream sauce. The very outer crust of the potato should be crisp. The potato forked into furrows like a tractor ploughing a field, or brought up into cumulus-like puffs so the edges catch in the heat. I often finish such a crust under a hot grill. The inside should be soft and fluffy, which is best achieved by passing the cooked potatoes through a ricer. A small hole ricer is, as I'm sure you know, the very devil to wash, but the difference is worth every minute of your time. The best of the potato pies is one I no longer eat, an awesome mass of bubbling mushrooms, garlic and gruyere, under a lid of parmesan-crusted potato mash. It is the most rib-sticking of suppers imaginable, a pie so rich and filling you feel a stone heavier from simply looking at it. I can't quite face food like that anymore.
but the recipe is in real food if you're interested. You'll need your appetite. Potatoes make an appropriate hat for a fish pie. The cream, herb and fish sauce bleeding deliciously into the velvety potatoes. Anyone who has ever embarked on the task of preparing a fish pie will know it is not for the faint-hearted cook. There is also always mountains of washing up. And yet of all those you could make, the fish pie is often the most popular, especially when the weather is below freezing and there is smoked fish involved. Smoked haddock and mussel pie Smoked haddock is my go-to fish for a pie. The price is reasonable, the flesh reassuringly firm, and the smoky notes of the fish are blissful with the mashed potato. If you make the filling in a shallow casserole, you can pile the mashed potatoes on top and save yourself some washing up. Serve 6 A kilo of floury potatoes 100 grams of butter, plus extra for the topping 500 grams of haddock 750 grams of smoked haddock 700 mils of milk 3 bay leaves 6 black peppercorns 500 grams of mussels 60 grams of flour and two tablespoons of chopped tarragon leaves. You will need a deep-sided baking dish, about 30 by 22 centimetres. Peel the potatoes, and cook them till tender in deep, lightly salted water. They will probably take about 20 minutes, but check them every few minutes. When you can easily slide a skewer into them, remove from the heat, drain them, then beat till smooth with 50 grams of the butter seasoning as you go. Put the haddock and smoked haddock in a large pan, then add the milk, bay leaves, peppercorns lightly crushed, and bring almost to the boil. You may find the milk doesn't quite cover the fish, but it will cook in the steam. Lower the heat, partially cover with a lid, and leave to simmer very gently for about seven minutes until the fish is almost cooked. The skin should come off easily. Turn off the heat, but leave the lid on. Check the mussels, discarding any that are cracked or refuse to close when tapped on the side of the sink. Put them into a deep saucepan with 200 mils of water, then cover with a tight-fitting lid and bring to the boil. Leave the mussels cooking for two minutes, then lift the lid and check their progress. As soon as the shells have opened, they're done. Remove them from the heat and pull the mussels from their shells. Reserve the cooking liquor, pouring it through a sieve to remove any grit. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Remove the fish from the milk and peel the flesh from the skin. Remove any bones. Break the fish into large pieces and put them in a bowl. Melt the remaining 50 grams of butter in a medium-sized saucepan. I use a deep 20-centimetre pan. Stir in the flour with a wooden spoon and let it cook for a couple of minutes until thick. Now gradually ladle in 600 mils of the milk in which you cook the fish, discarding the bay leaves, and stir in 100 mils of the mussel cooking liquor. Keep stirring until the sauce comes to the boil then lower the heat and let it simmer gently, stirring regularly and beating out any lumps as you go 
over a low heat for five minutes. Add the tarragon to the sauce, then add the skinned fish and the mussels and season lightly. You are unlikely to need salt. Transfer the filling to a baking dish. Pile the mashed potato on top, making furrows with a fork or leaving it rough as you wish, dot with a little butter, then bake for 30 to 35 minutes till the potato is golden and the filling is bubbling around the edge. The original version of my favourite vegetable pie, made in the early days of my cookery writing life, was nice enough, but always felt a little worthy. A dish reminiscent of the much-missed Cranks restaurant in Marshall Street. Too brown, too wholemeal, a touch on the dry side. This updated version is a lot more interesting. The refresh came about because of the need to find substantial cold-weather food for when you don't want to eat meat. A sort of shepherd's pie for a shepherd who doesn't want to eat his flock. This one is soft and generous. I am not going to deny that this dinner is a good hour and a half's hands-on work. It is a pie of many parts. There is something so life-affirming here, and I make it in a dish that I can bring to the table to pile onto everyone's plate in steaming clouds. I sometimes wonder if there isn't a touch of the feeder in me. A big pie for a winter's day. This good, resolutely old-fashioned and earthy recipe will take whichever lentils and vegetables you have lying around. Use brown, yellow or green lentils in the filling, spinach or chard for the greens, and mashed potatoes, swede, sweet potatoes or parsnip for the crust. Serve six. For the filling, 450 grams of onions, about two medium, three tablespoons of olive or vegetable oil, 150 grams of carrots, a stick of celery, three cloves of garlic, three bay leaves, six bushy sprigs of thyme, four bushy sprigs of parsley, 500 grams of tomatoes, 500 mils of vegetable stock, 350 grams of brown or green lentils, 350 grams of spinach, one or two tablespoons of balsamic vinegar, for the top, one and a half kilos of parsnips, 50 grams of butter, and a few sprigs of thyme. Peel and roughly chop the onions, then cook them in the oil in a deep pan over a moderate heat for 15 minutes stirring from time to time. Cut the carrots and celery into fine dice, peel and finely chop the garlic, then add all to the softening onions and continue cooking for ten minutes until the onion is golden and translucent. Add the bay leaves to the pan. Remove the leaves from the thyme and parsley, then stir into the vegetables. Cut the tomatoes into small dice and stir into the vegetables, leaving them to simmer for a further ten minutes until the tomatoes have released their juice. Pour in the vegetable stock, bring to the boil, then lower the heat to a simmer. Season and leave the vegetables to putter away over a low heat for about fifteen minutes. Check the liquid level from time to time. You want a decent amount of juice so add some more hot stock if needed. Meanwhile, cook the lentils in deep boiling water for 20 minutes until they're just tender, then drain 
and add to the vegetable sauce. Peel the parsnips, then steam until tender. Mash with a vegetable masher or food mixer. Add the butter, salt and pepper, and set aside. Wash the spinach leaves and put them, still wet, into a pan over a moderate heat. Cover tightly with a lid and let them cook for one to two minutes until wilted. Remove the leaves, drain them, and squeeze out most of the moisture. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Stir the spinach into the lentil sauce, then stir in a tablespoon of balsamic vinegar. Taste and add more if necessary. It should add a mellow note to the sauce. Transfer to a deep baking dish about 24 by 28 centimeters. Spoon the mashed parsnips on top, scatter the thyme sprigs over, and bake for 20 to 25 minutes. And of course, there are sweet pies whose sugar-crusted pastry emerges from the oven cracked and stained with veins of crimson juice, plums and damsons, apples and mincemeat, and the apricot which I think of as the zenith of pie fillings. Sweet pies. There was only ever one true pie. The pie for which I waited all year, happy to get my arms and legs blooded by bramble thorns and my knees bruised from climbing the lichen-covered apple tree at the bottom of the garden. Blackberry and apple pie said home like no other food, a deep dish of treasure in which to sink a tarnished serving spoon through crisp pastry that sparkled with sugar like a frosty morning, the fluff of pale apples with ribbons of deep purple juice with the wild berries from the lane. It was the simplest of pies, a short-crust pastry crown on a deep, crackle-glazed mason's pie dish of stewed apples and blackberries. A smell of baked apples and pastry to come home to after school. We made custard from a packet, but I always preferred cream, thick and white from a tin. To this day, I am not sure there is a pie I would rather eat. But this is more than pie. This is back-to-school pie, and the return of a sense of order. It is the falling leaves and the first fires, apple-picking and harvest festival pie. If ever there was a food laden with the honey-hued glow of nostalgia, this is it. I am no flag-waving Anglophile, far from it. But this is something we do well, if not better than anyone. Sweet fruit pie. It is something to be celebrated. Blackberry and apple pie. My first published recipe for this, in real food, was for a single crust pie. With the greedy benefit of hindsight, I feel the pie needed more pastry. I've reworked the recipe to include a bottom crust. This second crust will always be softer because of the juice that escapes from the fruit as it bakes, but I prevent it from being soggy. By baking the pie on a hot cast iron baking sheet, I cannot tell you what a difference it makes to the texture of the bottom crust. There is a debate as to whether it is necessary to simmer the apples before they go into the pie. I fall on the side of pre-cooking, a trick that renders the fruit fluffy, golden and translucent. If I were cooking an apple tart, I would want the apple slices to keep their shape, and so I use a sweet apple and forego any pre-cooking. But this is pie, where the filling should be soft and cloud-like, 
marbled with the juice of the blackberries. If you don't fancy the idea of lard, just replace it with butter. And can I please put in a plea for gooseberry pie too? You could use them in place of the apples and blackberries. You will need 850 grams of them, cooked briefly with 150 grams of sugar and a couple of tablespoons of water, then spooned into the pie tin in place of the apples. All pie plates vary slightly in size. For the sake of accuracy, my pie plate is cast iron and measures 20 centimetres across the bottom and 27 centimetres across the top from rim to rim. Serve 6. For the pastry, 300 grams of plain flour, 75 grams of butter cold from the fridge, 75 grams of lard, also cold from the fridge, 1 egg yolk, iced water, and a little milk for brushing. For the filling, 750 grams of bramley or similarly sharped apples, 25 grams of butter, caster sugar to taste, and 250 grams of blackberries. To finish, a beaten egg and caster sugar for sprinkling. You will need a 24 centimetre metal pie dish with a wide rim. Put the flour into a mixing bowl with a pinch of salt. Cut the butter and lard into small dice and rub in with your fingertips and thumbs. You can do it in a food processor, but I'm not sure it's worth it. Pastry this simple is a pleasure to make by hand. When the fats and flour resemble coarse, fresh breadcrumbs, add the egg yolk, lightly beaten, and a little iced water to bring it to a rollable dough. Start with a tablespoon, adding it gingerly, too much is difficult to correct, and draw the dough from the sides to form a ball. You are looking for a dough that is firm enough to roll, but soft enough to demand careful lifting. Set aside in the fridge, covered with a tea towel, for 30 minutes. Set the oven at 180 degrees centigrade. Place a baking sheet in the oven to get hot. You will cook the pie on top of this. Peel, core and quarter the apples, then cut them into thick slices. You should have about 650 grams. Melt the butter in a saucepan, then add the apples with a sprinkling of sugar. Taste them to gauge their sweetness. I like my apples fairly tart, so add just a light sprinkling of sugar. The sweeter of tooth may wish to add anything up to a tablespoon of sugar per apple. Let the apples cook over a moderate heat, covered, for 8 to 10 minutes, until they're soft but not fluffy. Gently stir in the blackberries. Cut the pastry in half and roll out one half to approximately the thickness of a pound coin to fit the dish with a good overhang. Lower the pastry into the dish and press it firmly to the rim. Spoon the fruit on top of the pastry, doming it lightly in the centre. Roll out the remaining pastry. Brush the rim of the tart in with water or milk or some beaten egg, then lower the rolled out pastry over the fruit. Press the edges firmly together around the rim, then crimp them with your thumb and forefinger, or a fork, to firmly seal. Brush with a little of the beaten egg, and sprinkle lightly with sugar. Slide the pie onto the hot baking sheet, and bake for 50 minutes to an hour, till golden brown. Allow the pie to settle for 15 to 20 minutes before serving.
1988, I wrote a story about the joys of pie. I wanted to include a recipe that required no culinary skill whatsoever. Entry-level pie. Easy as pie pie. Rather than push the dough tenderly into the tart tin, then roll a lid and crimp and seal the edges, I simply piled the fruit in the middle of the rolled-out pastry and folded the edges loosely over the fruit. I had no idea if it would work. My fear being that the pastry would unfurl and the fruit would come spilling out. To my surprise, the crust stayed in place and the pie was a success. I noticed the idea seems to have somewhat done the rounds. Plum and blackcurrant free-form pie There aren't many fruits that don't work in an open-topped pie such as this. Apples cut into thin slices, gooseberries, plums, blueberries and apricots are prime contenders. Rhubarb tends to produce a little too much juice, but nevertheless tastes wonderful. I sometimes dust it with a little icing sugar too, and serve with a jug of thick double cream to pour over at the table. Serve 6. For the pastry, 280 grams of plain flour, 140 grams of cold butter, 2 tablespoons of icing sugar, and an egg yolk. For the filling, 600 grams of ripe plums, 250 grams of black currants or blackberries, 100 grams of caster sugar, and an egg. Make the pastry by putting the flour into the bowl of a food processor, adding the butter, cut into small cubes, then reducing to coarse crumbs. If you prefer, rub the cubes of butter into the flour with your fingertips. Stop when they look like fresh, coarse breadcrumbs. Add the icing sugar, then the egg yolk, and enough water to produce a firm, rollable dough. I start with one tablespoon, then add a second, and occasionally a third. Remove the dough from the bowl, pat into a ball, then wrap in baking parchment and refrigerate for 30 minutes. Slice the plums in half and discard their stones. Put them in a bowl. Remove the blackcurrants from their stems and add to the plums. If you're using blackberries, add them to the plums. Add the sugar to the bowl and gently toss everything together until the fruit is coated lightly with the sugar. Set the oven at 200 degrees centigrade. Put a baking sheet in the oven. Cover a second baking sheet with baking parchment. On a lightly floured board, roll the pastry out to measure roughly 32 centimetres in diameter. Don't feel the need to be particularly neat or accurate about this. The pie's charm is in its free-form wobbliness. Place the pastry on the parchment-lined baking sheet. Pile the fruit in the middle of the pastry, leaving a wide rim around it. Pull the edges of the pastry up and partially over the fruit, leaving much of the fruit uncovered. Break the egg into a small bowl or cup and beat lightly with a fork, then brush over the exposed pastry edges. Place the pie on its baking sheet on top of the hot baking sheet in the oven and bake for 45 minutes till golden. I must backtrack a while for this next recipe. It is 1978 and I'm working in the Lake District in the sort of country house hotel that has stone putty on the terrace and puts a tiny vase of primroses on the morning tea tray. 
Dinner was a set menu affair with no choice until dessert. Then came the tough choice between apricot fool or raspberry meringue, an ice cream of local honey or a deep fruit pie. The pastry with which the apple, plum or blackberry pies was made was exceptionally soft and crumbly, more like thin shortbread than sweet pastry. The pastry received its tender character for having been made with almost equal butter to self-raising flour and icing sugar. Such a formula makes the pastry difficult, nigh on impossible to roll, without 24 hours in the fridge. My version of this pastry still has a high ratio of fat and still uses self-raising flour, but is infinitely more manageable. The result is as soft and tender as pie pastry can be. There is so much talk of cotton-wool apricots, or those that refuse to ripen, and yet I find little evidence of this. Perhaps I am spoilt by the Turkish greengrocers on my doorstep. Many of them manage to locate a decent supply. Perhaps they have an affinity to the fruit that struggles in this climate. The trick seems to be to leave them at room temperature until they are properly ripe, taking care they do not touch one another. Choosing those of a dark colour with rust freckles seems as good a starting point as any. Like greengages, they're one of those fruits that shine most brightly when warm and sweetened by a little sugar. Apricot Pan Pie The pastry here is exceptionally soft, so that it hugs the shape of the fruit, giving the impression of a cluster of apricot dumplings. I include lemon zest in the pastry, which persuaded the fruit to come out of its characteristic shyness. My favourite pie pastry is a little fragile to handle. I get around this by kneading the dough, briefly and tenderly, on a lightly floured wooden board before rolling. Serve six. For the pastry, 200 grams of cold butter, 100 grams of icing sugar, an egg, the grated zest of a small lemon, 350 grams of self-raising flour, and a little milk and sugar to finish. For the filling, 750 grams of ripe apricots, two tablespoons of caster sugar, the grated zest of a small orange, and a heaped tablespoon of corn flour. Cream the butter and sugar until light and fluffy. Mix in the egg, then the lemon zest. Sift in the flour and fold into the butter and sugar mixture. Form the dough into a ball and knead lightly on a floured surface, then cut in half. Wrap in baking parchment and rest in the fridge for 30 minutes. Use half of the dough to line the pie plate. Place this and the remaining half back in the fridge. Set the oven at 180 degrees centigrade. Halve the apricots and remove their stones. Put the apricots in a bowl. Toss with the sugar, orange zest and corn flour, then spoon into the pie tin. Roll the reserved pastry to fit the top. Brush the pastry rim in the pie plate with milk then lower on the second piece of pastry. Seal the edges, pinching them together, then brush the pie with milk and dust with sugar. Pierce a small hole in the centre to let the steam out. Bake for 45 minutes, or until the crust is pale gold. Leave to settle for 10 to 15 minutes before serving. <laughs>